Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If you love to cook or love to eat... If you have a passion for food, well, then I like to say we should definitely be friends. And I welcome you to the next hour of scintillating, delicious conversation. You are in the right place if food is your fetish, because every weekend I am supplying the tools. You have a professional chef available to you in your radio, and it is my goal to satiate your appetite. Let me remind you of my thoughts on kitchen wisdom, if I may. I say, taste constantly, shop with the seasons, and let your palate do the talking. I guarantee that your dishes will come alive with flavor. And stay tuned, because on this show, you'll hear from celebrity chefs, pastry aficionados, artisans, (laughs) winemakers, mixologists, that wine got away with me now, didn't it? And more. And it is all of our intentions to feed your soul. So from big names to up and comers, you'll hear about it here first because I love to dish. In fact, coming up, don't touch your dial. She has almost 3 million followers on social and she's famous for her salads, but more so recipes that are big on flavor and fun. And Kat Ashmore is here and I can't wait to dish with her. Also, before the end of the hour, Dr. Michael Greger is stopping by, the New York Times bestselling author, internationally renowned physician and nutritionist, and the gentleman who will tell you how not to die. That is his bestseller book of the ages, but his new book release entitled How Not to Age is all about the scientific approach to getting healthier as you get older. And so we're going to cook something up, Dr. Gregor and I, and you don't want to miss it. I'm always serving up seconds, by the way. If after this show you're looking for a recipe or scrumptious inspiration, please visit chefjamie.com where you'll find a bevy of recipes, videos, and more to make you the best cook you know. And of course, on social, you'll find my daily dish, sometimes, okay, always a little bit gluttonous at Chef Jamie Gwen, where I hope you'll become a friend and a fan. And if you happen to have missed a show, you'll find my podcast, by the way, on Apple Music, Spotify, and SoundCloud. So please tell a friend. All right, let's get this food party started, shall we? All right, dig in. Because if you love food and hate food waste like I do, and I know hate is a strong word, but waste not, want not is the way I was raised, I have some brilliant ways to use up bread. Now, I don't know about you, but I end up with like multiple loaves. I have sandwich bread for my son. I might have an artisan loaf that I made or some brilliant baker made at the bakery nearby or even my specialty grocery store. And I'll tell you, sometimes I'm just like overwhelming with bread. And if you loathe waste as much as I do, here's some bread inspiration for an ingredient, or I guess you could call it that, a staple, that is king of the kitchen. One loaf of bread, many genius ways to use it, especially if you're baking your own sourdough or beautiful uh, baked 
uh, brilliances that come out of a Dutch oven, you don't want to waste those. There is nothing that compares to a freshly baked, whether it's homemade or artisan made loaf of bread, because that squishy loaf of pre-sliced bread, it pales in comparison, right? And the fresh bread has this beautiful character, right? It amps up the sophistication level of the dinner table. Uh, But how do you make the best of the goodness? Because after a day or two, if you're lucky, the freshness begins to wane, right? And you get this sort sort of more stiff, less than desirable loaf. And because I don't advocate for waste, there are lots of wonderful ways to use up that loaf of bread when it begins to lose its fresh edge, right? So you could sit down, of course, on day one and uh, mix up some of your favorite fresh herbs with softened butter, and you could smear it all over the bread that you've, you know, coarsely cut into a thick slice off of your freshly baked artisan loaf. And you can, of course, opt for making the obvious items like a sandwich or avocado toast or put it on a cheese and charcuterie board and have that with dinner or as dinner and then some wine and snacks and I'm in. You could use the bread to make crostini or bruschetta, uh, easy appetizer, right? Uh, You could throw a few thick slices of the bread on the grill and then you could spread with hummus and top with blistered tomatoes. I mean, that's what you do with a good loaf of fresh bread, right? But now it's day two and your bread is still fresh enough to do many of the things you might try on day one, but it's slightly more crusty on the outside and a little less fluffy on the inside. Day-old bread is best to make recipes that call for just that. It's more sturdy. It absorbs liquid well. It still keeps its shape, though. And bread pudding is the first thing that comes to mind. You could make it savory or sweet. You could eat it that night. You could prep it and freeze it. You could prep it and bake it, really. And then you're really savoring that loaf of bread, right? Now, it becomes this whole new dish. I personally like chocolate bread pudding. Yes, I make mine with chocolate milk. It's so good. Oh, and three other kinds of chocolate. But you could make tomato bread pudding for a side dish to go with chicken or meat. You could use the bread to make a panzanella salad, which is really often, if I want to go the savory route, what I do with my bread that is aging. And panzanella is not just for summer, by the way. It's the Italian bread salad typically made with ciabatta and tomatoes, olive oil, uh, capers, peppers. But during the winter months, I do it with roasted peppers and sometimes even throw in um, roasted or caramelized butternut squash. You could make it fresh with pickled onions or rich with caramelized onions. The opportunities are endless. And I love all the sharp and mellow flavors from red wine vinegar and olive oil that go, you know, with that beautiful, let's say, sourdough. And French toast, Yet another great idea to use up day-old bread. But now it's day three, and your bread is bound to be super crusty and getting hard to the touch, right? This is the time you make croutons or even homemade breadcrumbs, where you cut the bread into bite-sized cubes and you toast them. Um, Maybe you do it on the stovetop with bacon drippings. Oh, yes. Uh, Melted butter for a classic crouton. And then breadcrumbs with everything that's left Uh, It doesn't have to be fancy, by the way. You can mix breads here, like you have one English muffin and one pita bread. Those make great breadcrumbs too. And you always get the best results if your bread is slightly stale. Very fresh bread 
for breadcrumbs is gummy in a food processor. Um, if it isn't dry enough or stale enough or day old enough to make breadcrumbs, slice it and put the bread in a 300 degree oven until slightly crusty and then rip it into pieces and fill your food processor uh, to make the you know, crumbs that you like by pulsing, of course. And I happen to keep my breadcrumbs in the freezer. I think they stay fresher longer that way. And then I use them in my meatballs and my crab cakes and to top macaroni and cheese and casseroles, etc. And last but not least, let me just mention storage. So the length of time that bread keeps depends on the type and the ingredients, specifically if anything was uh, put into it to preserve it. And so I often get asked, do I keep my bread at room temperature? Is it better in the fridge or should I store it in the freezer? The best way to keep a fresh, beautiful loaf of bread is to wrap it in plastic to combat the loss of moisture and then store it at room temperature. If you know you're going to get through it that day or the next. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but the fridge doesn't really prolong the life of the loaf. It accelerates the change in structure. It will preserve the bread longer. And I'm fine with that, by the way. I'll do a few days in the fridge happily with even really good bread. But the freezer is the best option if you want to keep bread fresh, fresh, fresh. Seal it well in a freezer bag. Put it in as soon as possible when you're done, you know, indulging in it. And then you really retain its beauty. Did you know that every single day we waste 24 million slices of bread? That is a lot. So please use up the stuff, right? Okay, so now we dished and we saved. I love it. Stay tuned. (laughs) Grab a snack. Come on back. Kat Ashmore is here and we're going to cook it up together. Comfort food, mostly gluten-free recipes that are wholesome, that the family will love. What could be better than that? Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Don't go away. My goal is to satiate your appetite. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Cats, almost 3 million followers on social, are always looking for abundant recipes. The fans of her hungry lady salads made her famously Cat Can Cook. And from that comes a knockout cookbook release. Kat Ashmore is here, and the book, Big Bites, Wholesome, Comforting Recipes That Are Big on Flavor, Nourishment, and Fun, is a number one new release on Amazon, and it hasn't even released yet. 
It is a beautiful thing. Her daily aspiration is to reimagine the concept of healthy food, to empower hungry readers everywhere, to feed themselves and their loved ones well and have fun while they're doing it. And rather than focus on restrictions or deprivation, she asks, what can we add to our plates? And that's what makes her cooking special. It is Kat's debut cookbook with over 110 wholesome, comforting, beautiful recipes, mostly gluten-free, in fact, and they're meant to be devoured in big bites. And I'm so thrilled for you, Kat. Welcome. Very glad to have you. Oh, it's so great to be here with you. I'm really um, looking forward to it. Congratulations to you. It's it's like a new baby, right? The idea of a cookbook release and the fact that you can talk it up now. And there are um, a, a lot of, like hundreds of thousands of people who are very excited for the release of this book. Mm-hmm. T- tell us, um, what was the best part of the process? Let me Let me start there. I would have to say the best part of the process is being very clear about the fact that I'm writing this book exactly when I meant to write this book. I I had, you know, I, of course, thought about writing a cookbook many times. I've had a couple of opportunities to write a cookbook before, but up until really in the last couple of years, I, I wasn't clear on exactly what I wanted to say mm. that would feel really different. Mm. Out of just immense respect for the cookbook industry, for the incredibly talented cookbook authors and chefs that have come before me, you know, why why would people need a book from me when there is, are already such fabulous cookbooks out there? And so I think it really took everything that it took for me to get to a place where I became very clear about what it was specifically that I not only could say, but really felt like I needed to say. Hmm. I think there's something beautifully authentic, and I don't mean to abuse the word, but I think there's something beautifully authentic about that. Like talk about heart and soul, right? You could have pumped out a book, but this is true to your heart. And I think that's what uh, your followers love about you is they very much relate to the idea of getting dinner on the table is often hard. And if it is so hard, then we don't do it. And how do you bring back that inspiration, right? To gather everyone at the table and feel really good about what you put down. Yes. I mean, and let's be honest, especially as a mom, dinner is sort of the Achilles heel. I mean, I cook for a living. I, you know, I went to culinary school. There's, there are a few things that I enjoy more than cooking. And there are still probably one to two nights a week where I'm kind of like, do I really need to eat them again <laughs> it feels like a lot you know yes I kind of wish they would do some intermittent fasting and give me a little bit of a break <laughs> I, <laughs> but that's not really that's not really recommended apparently so no um, you know it's my responsibility to get food on the table and look it's not always going to be joyous but I really want to take away some of the stress and sort of that that doom and gloom that it can feel staring down the dinner hour going god what do I what do I have to give my kids and what kind of a fight am I up against to try to get them to eat it 
Oh my gosh. Oh, you've been to my house. And I don't, I don't think my, my, my almost four year old is not yet intermittent fasting, but it's a fabulous (laughs) idea. Really Uh, great idea. I would be remiss if I didn't mention, yes, you have a culinary degree, um, and time with Martha Stewart and an illustrious background, but it's really your connection to the people. I think that has made you famous. It might also be your secret ingredient frittata. And so what I did was I went page by page in the book and I decided let's plan a few days of food together from your book because I can't wait to cook from it. So I planned my own menu. I hope you don't mind. I um, love it. And um, like you, I love a frittata. So let's start at breakfast, please. What is the secret ingredient? This was fascinating to me. So the secret ingredient in the frittata is seltzer water or club soda. And what that's going to do is that's going to give you some aeration yes. within the frittata. Smart. So it's just going to give you some volume. It's going to make it puff up a little bit more. Yeah, I love those little those little hacks, if you will. I yes. feel like that word is a little bit exhausted at this point, but... They are, these little hacks and tips that I share are very much the way that I live. They aren't like little fads that I share and that I don't use anymore. It's all of these little secret things like, did you know that you could use seltzer and club soda to get some volume in a frittata? So smart. Um, So it's just that thing that, you know, makes you feel a bit special. And I think a frittata is a great way to use up little odds and ends and bits from the freezer and Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. I'm always looking at how we can eliminate food waste or at least greatly reduce it. And a frittata is a, is a perfect way to do that. I agree with you. It's my way to use up the cheese drawer, like that Mm -hmm. last little piece from the cheese board of the, you know, cheddar, Parmesan, whatever it is. And I'm like, Oh, let's throw that in. Um, and I love got a home in a frittata. Yes. Oh, it does. And I love the idea of the bubbly water because there is a constant conversation about adding milk or cream to eggs. And while I love the mouthfeel and the texture, it does weigh them down. So don't Mm -hmm. expect anything lofty when you add dairy. So smart. All right. Speaking of secret ingredients, seeing that you're the goddess of them. You make, uh, this is breakfast tomorrow, by the way, because we covered breakfast today. Superfood blender pancakes, a la Cat Ashmore. Uh, there's another secret ingredient. They're so good. <laughs> They're so good. And I'm pretty sure that my husband didn't even know about the secret ingredient until I wrote the cookbook. Um, and I'm like, hi, honey, uh, you've been eating cauliflower rice in your pancakes this whole time. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's frozen cauliflower rice. So I add frozen cauliflower rice, and this really came out of the, you know, the, the challenge that so many of us new moms have of yes. how am I going to get vegetables into my children um, and still have everybody be talking to each other and have some sense of peace in the house. <laughs> and, you know, I would add frozen cauliflower rice to smoothies, for instance, to give them bulk and fiber and get some veggies in and then it kind of occurred to me why don't I just add it it's really it's a vegetable if you can put shaved carrots and shaved zucchini into baked goods and it's delicious and it adds moisture and provides structure and volume you could certainly do it with frozen cauliflower rice and it's something you can always have on hand so that you can whip them up on I mean it's our Saturday morning Thing, Sunday morning thing. I will make them once a weekend 
and I will always make a bit extra so that I can freeze them just with a bit of parchment paper, and then you just take them out, you throw them into the toaster oven on a busy morning. Hey, Kat, you're fun to dish with. Let's keep talking food, but if you would pause just a moment, we'll take a quick break. More with Kat Ashmore right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We're back and we're dishing with the famous Cat Can Cook. She's Cat Ashmore and her Big Bites cookbook is on its way to New York Times bestseller. I will tell you, speaking of trying to hide things or get more veggies into our kids or otherwise, I have um, a new favorite juicer and I'm sneaking the pulp from juicing into my meatballs and mm, I'll tell you, Kat, I'm getting away with it. So what kind of pulp are we talking? Oh, apple, spinach, oh. those oh. kind of things. Yeah, the oh, new, yes, of course. The flavors that I can get away with. The apple adds a little sweetness, but you don't even know it's sure. there. And sure. it's That's like you say, smart. great way to use it up. Right? I mean, waste That's not, want really not. Smart. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm all... That's ab- really smart. You could even use it... You know, you could even use it. I have a recipe for a breakfast sausage with maple and sage. Ooh, and you yum. Could, you could use the apple pulp in there. Sure. Oh, definitely yeah. so. Love for it. Sure. It would be delicious. Oh, that, that's really smart. You know, I, I feel like meatballs are another one of those things where you can get a bunch of stuff in. I will oftentimes... I'll do some roasted mushrooms or some grated zucchini or whatever it is, lentils, and you could throw it in there as long as you've got some meat to balance it out. I think that that's really my approach as well is that I don't try to completely make something into a different dish than it is. I like to honor the integrity of the dish, but how can we, like, how how much sugar can we cut back on while still having it taste like what it is and a really good version Hmm. at that. I'm not going to ask you to use some wacko ingredient to replace all of the sugar. We're just going to see how far can we push it and what can we impart as far as flavor to make up for some of that loss of the fat or the sugar or whatever it is that we're trying to reduce. And, And I love that because it maintains the level of integrity that you cook with and I do as well. And that is, it's real food, right? I mean, we're, we're not compromising. Yes. Yeah. Love that. That's like, yeah. Flavor is king is what I always say. And the, you know, the trained chef in me just would not allow me to bastardize (laughs) some of these classic recipes completely. Of course. And I, and I get that. Um, the roasted cauliflower salad with sesame date dressing. Oh my. Okay. Um, on yeah, the menu for lunch, amazing. like today. I just made that, that one on the Cameron Hall show and it's so good. And the dressing is one where you've got the sweetness from the date. It's really nice and creamy and gets mm. nice and whipped and emulsified in the blender. Love and that. the dressing is really delicious with a crispy chicken as well. It's Ooh. It as like... Yeah, it's like a dipping sauce or a crispy chicken. It's just a nice, 
one of my missions is to get people to be making their own salad dressing. I, I assume you probably make your own salad dressing. Oh, is that right? I, of course, yeah. because I know better. Yeah. Yes. And I make a, like a triple batch and I keep it in a big mason jar so that yeah. I have, you know, a week's worth of, um, I call it bikini ranch because I make my ranch with Greek yogurt as the base. Cause oh, it's I love that name. Skin, skinnier, you know, I can yeah. make an excuse to dip more veggies. Um, but yeah. I, ma- I don't make a single batch of dressing. I make a triple batch, as I'm sure you do too. And what a, I think that's a wonderful uh, <laughs> life goal to get everyone making homemade dressing. That sesame date dressing would be beautiful on one of your big gorgeous salads. You're the salad queen. Yeah. Well, Hungry you. lady I mean, salads. It's certainly, it's, cer- it's certainly something that I want, you know, I'm trying to get people not to be afraid of salad dressing and not to be afraid of having something that feels really rich and indulgent and mm. looking at, you touched on, you know, what are we adding to our plate? What are we adding to our bowl? We want a lot going on here. We're building flavor and we want it to feel really satisfying and really exciting to make and exciting to eat. The amount of people that will message or comment and say things like, I'm so looking forward to my lunch tomorrow because they know that they have the salad in the fridge. I mean, that's the way I want to feel. Yes. Yeah. That's the way I want to feel too. With every meal at every, you know, Mm -hmm. every time I sit down, Uh, seeing that you are uh, the hungry lady salad queen, as I mentioned. Um, I don't know if your chicken salad falls under that category, but I think it does. And I have a tremendous fondness for chicken salad. My mother must have made a lot of chicken salad, and similarly to you, with apples in it always. But the chicken salad with, with walnuts, apples, and tarragon, I could eat mm-hmm. daily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. Same. And it's one of those things I think you want to have some recipes and a lot of the recipes in this book are just that where you are making something that everyone in the family hopefully is going to eat. I remember thinking to myself, I know that there are a lot of moms that are like a short order cook and are making three different kinds of meals every night. That is not me and not from any moral high ground, but simply because I just, I won't, be mentally stable if I'm doing that. (laughs) So how do I, you know, I'm not making as much spicy food as I would probably like to or as much Indian food as I would like to because I do tend to make meals that I know everyone will eat. And chicken salad is one of those things that if I have it in the fridge, my kids will always have it for sandwiches. My husband and I love it. And you are hard-pressed to have someone over for lunch that does not like chicken salad. And the tarragon and walnuts and apple is just a little bit of sophistication at a very low amount of effort. I agree with you. And if you dress it up and put it in a lovely leaf of, you know, bib lettuce or radicchio Mm -hmm. and fancify it... uh, Absolutely. Or on brioche buns. Oh, I yes. did that for my son's, my son's birthday a couple of years ago. I mean, I had just these giant platters of chicken salad on brioche buns. And I mean, every single sandwich was gone. You know, everyone loves them. <laughs> a testament to your chicken salad. But the most <laughs> viral recipe to date of yours is, and I'm going to say it, not just a chicken cutlet. Tell everyone that doesn't know on the planet, which there are a few, but about your almost yeah. famous crispy crackle chicken. 
Yeah, it's it's crispy crackle chicken. So it's basically it's taking the idea again of something that everyone knows and loves, which is a really nicely cooked crispy chicken cutlet. Every every different nationality, every country has a version of a chicken cutlet, right? Whether it's chicken, you know, schnitzel or whatever it is. And this is just a really good chicken cutlet. I it's lighter because I don't use flour. That's one of the biggest differences mm-hmm. between a typical chicken cutlet and mine. And really not using the flour does two different things. Number one, it makes it lighter. Yes. So you it's just crispier, it doesn't feel gummy. And number two, the breading stays put. Hmm. Because the flour really when you're adding flour to a chicken cutlet, I often find the breading will just kind of slide off in one piece when you cut into it. Yeah, and it gets and gummy too. It has no it holding power. It has no it holding power gummy. at all. And it's just a mess to make it. It just, for a lot of reasons, I, you know, I'm often asking myself, similar to how they say, I think it was Coco Chanel that said, you know, when you're putting together an outfit, take something off before you leave the house. Yes. I kind of do that with recipes where I say, Smart. like, how necessary is this step? Yeah. And then I'm going back and simplifying, like, does it really need to be done in two bowls? Let me see if I could do this in one bowl. Hmm. You know, do we really need this extra step of the flour? Let me see if I can eliminate it. Smart. And it was better than it was before. Mm. I can't wait to try your methods. So thank you. Oh, it's great. And it's a great, it's just a great standard, lighter version of a chicken cutlet to have on hand. And if you have mastered that, you can take it in so many different directions. You can put it on a salad. You can make, you know, buffalo chicken tenders. You can do chicken parmesan. It can go in a lot of different directions. Yeah. Well, you've done it and beautifully. The recipes are all very approachable. They all make me want to make them like page after page of the book. That's the success and the beauty of what you do. Um, So kudos to you. Um, You deserve Mm. all the accolades on this book. Um, Already a new number one new release, not even released yet (laughs) on Amazon. The book is entitled Big Bites and it is from the much loved social media queen who makes uh, literally a little of everything, but her hungry lady salads made her famous. Kat Ashmore is the author. Um, You should definitely follow if you aren't already, but who isn't at Cat Can Cook. It's K-A-T, Cat Can Cook. And um, we are hopeful that there are lots more uh, beautiful recipe inspirations in your mind going to paper uh, and electronically in the future and more wonderful things to come. So kudos to you and thank you for sharing your passion. That's the plan. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> a pleasure, Cat. Thank you. I did too. It was, de- it was a delicious conversation. Now I'm going to make, I think, baked stuffed shrimp casserole. Okay. That's the first oh. recipe. <laughs> Chef, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio back after this.
Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. New year, new you. Let's make it happen. On this show, we talk food and wine and trends and tech and everything that feeds your soul. And your good health in order to enjoy all of those things is paramount. Especially at the start of a new year, we are ever mindful of how we take care of ourselves. So why not make this the year you stop the age clock? Okay, I'm in. New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Michael Greger, is the author of the How Not to Die series. He's an internationally renowned physician and nutritionist and the founder of nutritionfacts.org. And he's back with a new blockbuster entitled How Not to Age, the scientific approach to getting healthier as you get older. And I am delighted that he is back to grace this show. Welcome back, Dr. Greger. Happy New Year to you. I'm so glad to be back. Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you kindly. All right, so I'm about a third through the book. What an extraordinary compilation of research and insight. It's a a really extensive read, and I find it fascinating that you continue to research anti-aging, even more so that you discovered that diet can regulate almost everyone of the strategies for combating the effects of aging. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really based on this consensus document written by the top researchers in the field on slowing the rate of aging in human beings. This was really done for the, for the pharmaceutical industry, trying to identify <laughs> these key essential pathways. But I looked at these pathways and said, wait a sec, every single one can be regulated through diet. So that's what became the first section of the book. It comes down to diet. You talk a lot about inflammation and chronic disease, but the anti-aging eight was, once I got to it, I thought the most effective thing we could all do to stay young longer. Yeah, the anti-aging eight is kind of an actionable checklist to complement my daily dozen from how not to die, right. and letting specific foods like uh, nuts, greens, and berries have potential to offer the uh, best opportunities to slow aging and improve longevity. Okay, so can you give us the eight, please? And any restrictions for them? Because there is so much diet conversation out there. Wait until noon to eat, give yourself a window, etc., etc. Can we eat these eight at any time, and what are they? You can eat these eight at any time, though I do have a large chapter on chronobiology and how not to diet, talking about the benefits based on our circadian rhythms of trying to shove as many calories earlier in the day as possible. Ideally, our largest meal of the day would be breakfast or lunch. If we skip any meal, it should be skipping supper, not breakfast. Um, uh, But in terms of anti-aging foods, according to data from the Global Burden of Disease Study, the largest systemic analysis of risk factors in history, the largest life expectancy gains will be expected from eating more legumes, which are beans, split peas, chickpeas, lentils. So, like, there's one thing we could boost in our diet is beans or lentil soup or hummus. Uh, This is presumed to be because they're the most concentrated source of prebiotics, like fiber-resistant starch, that can feed the probiotic good bacteria in our gut, like lactobacillus and bifidobacteria, to make beneficial postbiotics, like butyrate acetate, that can reduce inflammation, boost immunity, and improve muscle strength in frail individuals. So legumes rule the roost on a per-serving basis, though on an ounce-per-ounce basis, nuts are associated with the lowest risk of premature death compared to any other food group. 
So I recommend a palm full of walnuts a day. Okay. Uh, dark green leafies. I can do that. Place and the anti-aging aid as the vegetable most associated with a longer lifespan. The nitrates in greens can improve age-related declines in muscle and artery function, slow our metabolic rate, and the sulforaphane in cruciferous vegetables like broccoli can improve immune function and boost the detox enzymes in our liver and airway. Uh, berries, berries are in their place as the fruit most yeah. associated with the longest lifespan. I talk about the benefits of uh, something called amlet, dried Indian gooseberry powder, and the anthocyanin pigments in berries thought to account for their benefits for cognitive function, eyesight, inflammation, blood sugar, artery function, cholesterol. So these, uh, these bright berry pigments do get cleared from our bloodstream within six hours, so I recommend dosing at every meal with either berries or um, hibiscus tea or savory sources of anthocyanins like purple cabbage or purple sweet potatoes. Um, and then the rest of the anti-aging aid includes boosting levels of an enzyme cofactor called NAD+, something called xenohormesis, microRNAs, caloric restriction, protein restriction, methionine restriction, uh, which is uh, probably the single most important thing we can do. It is entitled How Not to Age from Dr. Michael Greger, New York Times bestselling author of How Not to Die and How Not to Diet, both of those. Uh, good focus, right? A founding member and fellow of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine entitled How Not to Age from Dr. Michael Greger. Uh, books available everywhere uh, the best sellers are sold. And I thank you, Dr. Greger, for taking the time once again and for enlightening us. Let's make 2024 our best year yet, shall we? That's what I love to hear. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me back on. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of truly delicious gastronomic inspiration. At least I hope you thought so. I very much am grateful to uh, Kat Ashmore for her ingenious ideas and to Dr. Michael Greger for sharing with us health and wellness tips to live every day more deliciously, of course. And I will be here every weekend in your radio to comfort you with food and wine and cocktails, of course. But don't touch your dial just yet. Let me leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation, as I call it, for the hour. This recipe is a four-ingredient wonder. Do you know why it's a wonder? Because my child loves it. I happen to love it, too. It's great for dinner tonight. It's delicious as a sandwich. Uh, it's perfect for leftovers. I don't know. There's multiple wonderful ways to eat it, but we can't seem to have any leftover, really. I call it sticky chicken. It's a really quick meal to prepare. And again, the kiddos love it. You start with chicken thighs because they're the best. Ask any chef. Bone in. That's where the flavor is. And you combine soy sauce, sweet chili sauce, and crunchy peanut butter. You can sub in your favorite nut butter if peanut butter is not for you. I like a few hours of marinating and then a simple air fry or bake, and it is just so good. I'm posting the recipe now. I made myself hungry. On social media, at Chef Jamie Gwen. So please, go steal it. And meet me here next weekend when there is guaranteed lots more fabulous food in your radio. I'm celebrating more than 20 years here on the radio, and I can't say it enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing me to share my passion. Thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.